Hello, and welcome to New Time Religion, a podcast featuring Dr. Andy Root with me, Derek Tronsgaard. So this week we are putting out a special episode because Andy just launched his new book, The Congregation in a Secular Age. It is book three of his Secular Age trilogy, and if you've read Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or you've seen the Avengers movies, you know that the third one is always, always, always the most fun. Uh, it really is a great book. It is out now, so be sure to pick up your copy. Um, so Andy and I this week hopped on Zoom uh, to talk about the book a little bit. Now, if you're a New Time Religion diehard fan, uh, first of all, thank you. We love you so much. Um, but also, some of the stuff we talk about at the beginning, you've probably heard before, because Andy was writing this book while we were recording some of those earlier episodes. But it is all really good stuff, and it's worth saying again. But towards the end of the conversation, we actually took this really interesting turn, and Andy got into some stuff about ministry and the pandemic, and I think it turned out to be a great episode, and we hope you like it. So, without further ado, here's another round of New Time Religion. So, Andy, we're really excited because you just launched your newest book, Congregations in the Secular Age. Uh, today, we're recording this on January 25th. I think the book's only been out for a couple days now. And uh, I guess I've been reading through it, and I love it. But what made you want to write this book? How is it different than your other two books in the Secular Age trilogy? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that it, it fits with the other two books in the trilogy. You know what I mean? Like, I hope it doesn't feel like it's completely a, a different kind of book. Um, and, you know, in those other books, the, the thought of Taylor was so central. You know, like Taylor was the, the descriptive engine into trying to do a constructive project. And uh, this is similar to that. I mean, there's no lack of kind of Charles Taylor footnotes. Um, there's no lack of footnotes, so may God have mercy on every reader's soul. Um, but, you know, there's no la lack of tailored discourse and conversation, but he, uh, this guy named Hartmar Rosa takes a more direct, um, direct, I guess, center stage is maybe a way to say it. Um, and so through kind of working with Taylor, um, I mean, I think it's a kind of common thing to kind of think, well, who's, who's doing really interesting things with Taylor? And I think one of the most interesting people kind of working from Taylor's thought, particularly his early thought, even his thought before the whole secularization thesis stuff, but just kind of thinking about what is a human life and how do human beings kind of think about the good life and things like that has been this German thinker, Hartmut Rosa. And his, his theories are just so really fascinating. And, um, and yeah, so getting into those, and we've talked a lot about his his thought on this podcast, but just the way that he kind of sees what modernity is is acceleration. It's it's speeding up, and um, and becoming. You know, he he says I I first read something from Hartmut Rosa and this um, Grant that I was involved with at Yale Divinity School, who had had found out about him and and then had been in dialogue with him, and he wrote this really nice essay for uh, um, a symposium they had there. And he just talks about, I mean, he has this, this kind of assertion that it just, it just felt like the way we kind of think about church life and the way we try to get pastors to think about their congregations, where he, he talked about this kind of need to try to get more out of less, you know, and that, that, is, that is something that really, really happens here is trying to get more out of less. And uh, I, I just found that really captivating, you know, where he says these these technologies that we have that accelerate our lives, they're, they're all promised to save us time, but they never save us time. What they actually do 
is give us more, um, they, they give us the ability to have more actions and units of time, you know, so you can actually do more with less. And it just felt like that's a, a lot of what the pressure is on pastors now is like to get more out of less. And that's, if we're not, if we're not really aware of it, the whole kind of turn towards entrepreneurship and innovation can be a way to kind of stylize the speeding up of trying to get more out of less. And that's not to make innovation or entrepreneurship a problem, uh, though I think we have to be aware of its potential problems. But it is to say that, um, that it can be used as a kind of form of discourse that allows us to hide the fact that really what we're, where we're at is we feel like our institutions have a lot less and we just want pastors to somehow um, take on a style that can do more with less. And I, I feel that too. And I think Rose's thought on continually speeding up and speeding up and life gets faster and faster and faster really is true. What kind of toll do you think that takes on congregations and leaders? I mean, is there, is there an actual like cost that we pay for that? Yeah. Is that, so I think what it does to us is at, at one level, it leads us to kind of slide into this, um, to this, to this misguided perspective that we almost find ourselves looking at our congregations and thinking our congregations, if they're going to compete for, for busy people, and if a good life is a busy life, then our churches have to be busy. And then you kind of get this, um, you know, like the only the only church that can tr- attract busy people uh, is a busy church, busy with programs, busy with, you know, uh, multiple staffs, busy with all sorts of different initiatives. But the issue is that I think once once <laughs> once busyness is what kind of attracts people, you prepare to lose people, you know, like what people it's really hard. I mean, in one of the chapters of the book, I, I do this kind of long discussion about how in this accelerated mode it becomes really hard to be committed to anything you know like and it's not even a a, often a direct kind of rational choice you know like it you just find commitment sliding away um that you find in the midst of the busyness that all of a sudden your commitment kind of slides away in in the midst of this so i think that's because you're like constantly just spinning 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 plates and then eventually plates start falling and there's nothing you can do and you just kind of keep moving on or, or what's the, what, why is the commitment lower there? Yeah. I mean, in, in some sense that you, you don't go to church, you know, one Sunday and then the, you wake up and realize it's been actually eight Sundays and then all of a sudden it's been 12 Sundays and then you just don't even feel like, you know, if you could go back and then you wake up and you're like, well, I, I don't know if I feel comfortable going back or I don't know why I never stopped going. It just happens kind of so, so quickly in that way that, that, that that commitment just kind of disappears. And I think that's so infuriating for pastors because usually, especially if you're in a kind of mid-sized church to even small church and someone disappears, it's hard, you know, living with a pastor in a, in a small church, it's hard not to actually take that as personal, you know, like, Oh, you, people, you totally take it personally. Yeah. Yeah. You just take it personally like no one's showing up. Yeah. But if you, if you, my experience kind of living through this, but also talking with a ton of pastors is that if you ask those people, those people often, you, you tend to tell yourself a story as a pastor, like, oh, they don't, they left because I preached that sermon or they're not coming because, well, yeah, our Sunday school is not as great as it should be. Or, 
I'm just not that cool or I'm just not that interesting. You tell yourself all these narratives or my leadership, you know, blows. That's why they're not coming. And then you talk to a lot of these people, especially I'm thinking kind of a middle class, very busy people. And it's usually none of those things. And you're like, well, why did you stop coming? And they're just like, I don't know. It just happened. Like it just happened. I just found myself one day not that committed and life just got away from us as a family. And, you know, you know, uh, I'm thinking of a name here. I don't know. Justin was super into his sport. And all of a sudden we realized the whole spring was over and then it didn't feel right to come back. And then I felt a little embarrassed. It had been so long. And, but there was no reason. There's nothing you did. There's nothing the church did. But it's hard as a pastor not to take that personally or to think, well, oh my gosh, yeah, they say that, but really we did something wrong. We weren't, we weren't dynamic enough. We weren't, we weren't, you know, we weren't able to, to, to grab their attention. But that just is, I think, part of the reality. Well, then as a church leader, too, you have that, that temptation then to work harder and go even faster to make up for the people that you lost, right? It's just a vicious cycle. Absolutely. And then you're thinking, okay, so if it really, if you, if you, first of all, it's a hard for a lot of us to believe it really isn't us, but if you really do believe it's not, then you, then you feel like, okay, well then I've got to make contact with all these people. Like if I would have, re, if I would have reminded her and told her it was okay, if I would have had coffee with her, then she would have stayed. And then you, you can just kind of continue to accelerate. So the acceleration ultimately what's at cost is something really pretty dramatic. And I, I hope the reader picks it up and it doesn't feel too dramatic, but Rosa thinks like this ultimate acceleration that the cost is it alienates you from life that it alienates you from it. It, it thrusts you at such a breakneck pace, both in all of these changes happening that you that you can feel like the world becomes a kind of dead place, that your ministry becomes hollowed out from its life, that you're running so fast. I mean, in some sense, to go this fast, you have to hollow out all of your action from any significance so you can get them moving at this, at this pace and keep up. And so it is this kind of modern, this, this modern problematic that we've raised throughout this podcast and throughout the other books is that modernity does so many good things for us you know what i mean like vaccinations in nine months yeah man like that's awesome like i'm not i'm not sad about the acceleration of you know vaccination innovation and nor am i and i'm deeply frustrated that the that the distribution of vaccinations have been so damn slow you know what i mean like we all want speed in some way and, and we should really celebrate that about modernity and not shy away from being modern people who appreciate things like that and, and so many others we could name. But there is a danger with, with all of this. And the danger is that to go at this speed, one of the things modernity does is, is hollow out, well, in this case, hollow out the sacredness of time. That sacred time is heavy time. It is slower time. It, at the very least, it's weighty. And as a pastor and as a congregation, there is something in you, at least in the history of the church, or you know, that goes back to the faith of our ancestors. That that we're about sacred time. You know, that that the liturgy is the, the re-entering into the sacred time. 
Um, and yet I think what happens in sacred time can be too heavy. And at times it can become, it can become manipulated and can become oppressive and, and difficult at times too. And so modernity cashes it in and wants nothing to do with it. So it hollows out time. I really think for the, for the point of being able to speed everything up. Um, and so we get faster things, you know, we get everything that goes a lot faster that a lot of us, you know, can't stand the weight. Um, but in its place, we get a time that is light, but it also can feel very thin. And now life itself becomes empty. And now you've been in ministry for a decade and you wake up at some point and are like, what is, what am I doing here? And I feel disconnected from everything. I feel disconnected from a story that's bigger than me. I feel disconnected from any rituals or practices that are infused with any meaning. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm racing to, to keep our numbers steady and to keep our budget on some kind of slight growth, if that's even possible, you know. And uh, I think that's the real risk. So one of the things that's super interesting to think about uh, is this book has now come out hopefully towards the end of this global pandemic of historic proportions. But I guess I'm wondering, when were you actually writing this? Was, was the pandemic going on or, or how did that whole timeline shake out? Yeah, good old timelines, right? Um, no, this book was actually written pre-pandemic. So I think maybe anyone who's written anything that was in like production, you know, like getting ready to come out um, before the world changed, is like, oh no, what does this mean? You know, what does this mean for for what I've written. And, and so, I mean, I think there's, there's a certain, in a certain sense, you could read this book. It is a pre-pandemic book. It's written in a pre-pandemic sense. It's really pointing to this acceleration of a lot of things. Um, it's, it's the acceleration of the pace of our lives, which really changed after the pandemic dawned, particularly like in April and March and, you know, those first four or five months of the pandemic where it felt like all we were doing is staying at home. And in some sense, we're at that now as this, as we see the horizon to the end of the pandemic, but as variants come into play and um, who knows what's going to happen that, you know, especially like in the UK and places like that, we, we've had some se severe shutdowns where people are at home. And so I think if there's a kind of superficial overview that you could feel like you could read this. And I have had a few people ask like on Twitter, like, has this book addressed the pandemic? And in some sense, I want to like directly say, no, it doesn't because it's before the pandemic. And it's really about this acceleration of the speed of our lives. But that being said, I think it's deeply relevant for the pandemic and deeply relevant coming out of the pandemic in two ways. I think if you read the book and particularly the cultural analysis in the book, I think it will reveal a little bit why the, the pandemic and the slowdown imposed by the pandemic has been such an existential crisis for you, for your church. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of pastors have lived through this. Like we pastors rose to the occasion, their congregations rose to the occasion in the first few months. And then as, you know, summer ended um, all of a sudden, all the conflict came in and people were sick of this and they somehow wanted you to fix this um, pandemic. And, and I think one of the pieces of people's discontent was that they were forced into a slowdown that they found existentially uncomfortable. 
deeply existentially uncomfortable that thrust him into you know if if the point is to go fast to to, to receive some kind of feeling of of relevance um all of a sudden you can't do that and meaninglessness comes just spilling forth you know and so i think one of the things that will happen with this book as we look back or even stand within the pandemic it will help us interpret why the pandemic has been so painful um kind of existentially and institutionally, I mean, beyond the utter pain of just losing so many people. And yet this odd kind of sense that no one cares that we've lost so many people. I mean, that's overstated, but it is just an odd thing that we're having the hardest time, particularly in the U.S., as we've lost over 400,000 people of, I mean, there's been some beautiful remembrances, especially as the Biden administration took in. But at the same time, it's it, it doesn't seem to impact us that much either like the, the numbers the, the sheer numbers are just numbing they're n- and and uh you know like like the visceral response to something like 9-11 or a plane crash it almost feels like it's more than this which doesn't make any sense but it, it, it's it's just so hard to compute the number right. of people that have passed away and maybe and maybe in some ways this book will help us understand a little bit of that about how um yeah we we yearn for something beyond it i mean there's other lenses probably to to look at that. So I think that will, I think it will be a book that will retrospectively help us recognize why the pandemic has been so difficult. But I also think it'll do something else that's more important, which is that as soon as this sucker's over, man, and by over, it's not going to be, you know, gone here one day, gone the next. But as the numbers go down, as more and more people get vaccinated, and probably by Labor Day here in the US, so by September, and things become open and a lot of our scientists at least are saying you know probably by labor day we'll be back to you know gathering inside and life will never be normal again necessarily but we'll be more like normal i think what's going to happen throughout the summer and even as it starts in the spring if we don't you know screw up this vaccination thing is that as soon as people get vaccinated and enough people get vaccinated and they feel comfortable there is going to be this utter pressure to go from zero to 120. I mean, just to race back into life. And people are going to feel like- To make up for lost time, right? There is going to be make up for lost time. And there, there is empirical, like this is historical. Um, I've been reading some stuff about like post um, the Spanish flu, you know, and now post Spanish flu also was post World War One. then the Spanish flu comes. So you think, you know, our last years sucked. Imagine those years of- the you know a great yeah. war and then the Spanish flu comes but into the nineteen you know early nineteen twenties nineteen twenty and beyond like people were just like ah and just wanting to do everything you know consume everything and travel again and I think there's going to be some of that for us like people are just um, I think with their kids and things like that they're going to m- want to make up for lost time and you as a pastor in your congregation is going to be called into racing up to make up for lost time or is going to be drowned out in the wake of people's racing. And so there is going to be a great temptation to um, blame yourself for spitting out that water or try to ride this wave. And I hope this book shows you that those are not good options either one. You know, like it, it, you shouldn't fear spitting out water and you shouldn't try to ride the wave. And uh, there's another way to look at this all. And that I think this book may be timely and, you know, I'm biased here, but may be timely as we come out of this pandemic and thinking about um, what really is uh, a quote unquote good congregation. What's a faithful congregation? Probably a better way to say that. What does it mean to be a faithful congregation and what is our relationship 
to the time and to sacredness and to one another. Um, I think that will be really important. So it'll be both reflective and kind of forward moving, I think. New Time Religion featuring Dr. Andy Root is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. Andy's brand new book, The Congregation in a Secular Age, is out now, and you can get it wherever fine books are sold or by just going to Amazon. New Time Religion is produced by the Alter Guild Podcasting Network, and you can check them out for more great shows. Thanks again so much for listening, and we hope you join us next time for another round of New Time Religion. 